This is episode 125 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode, we're going to be talking with Arwen Levinson, and I met Arwen through Twitter several months ago, probably closing in on a year ago, and I was really taken aback by the quality of her photos, especially night sky photography of the Milky Way, and also of her sun star photography. You know, looking through a Twitter timeline can be extremely overwhelming with you bombarded by constant photos, constant contact, content, and so many opinions coming at you at one time. I always found it very inspirational that I could always pick out an Arwen Levinson photo out of any other image that I saw on my timeline because she's extremely consistent at not only the quality, but the style of photo as well. And I think that's something that a lot of photographers aspire to, but can't always get to that point. Arwen does that in a very, very good way. That's one of her strongest suits as a photographer. So I don't think that it's a surprise that you should see Arwen on the show, not only her quality of photography, But she's also one of the kindest people that I've met through social media and and through the photography community, uh, but also how much support that she gives other photographers too, which is just a beautiful thing to watch unfold as time goes on. You know, Arwen and I talk a lot about how she approaches night sky photography, and of course we get into her journey as a photographer as well, which I find one to be... Uh, very unique and and very outside the box on a lot of the other photographers that we've talked to because she is so technical. She does come from that technical background as a photographer. And I love to see that come through the show too because we need both sides. We need to see not just compositional, not just artistic, but also the technical photographers. It's never or it's always and and I want to display both on the podcast and that's why I'm really excited about this episode today the landscape photography show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography it's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos so sit back relax and enjoy the show Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Arwen Levinson joining us from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, Arwen, first of all, Las Vegas, I know it's kind of like a hub for a lot of places. You can fly in there pretty cheap and get to a lot of amazing photography locations out of Las Vegas. I've always been curious, what is it like to actually live in the city when you're not just flying in and going somewhere else? Okay, well, um, I've only lived in Las Vegas, I guess it's about five years now. Um, Before I lived in LA, and I've lived in Chicago and uh, Louisville, Kentucky, I've lived all over. So um, I would say to me, living here kind of feels like anywhere else. I mean, I live on the west side, pretty far from the strip, um, near like Red Rock Canyon, And so, you know, it's just like living in a suburb of any other city. 
uh, and except that you have the opportunity to go to the strip when you want to. So if you want to dine at a nice restaurant or see a show, um, you know, you have so many entertainment options for the size of the city, um, which is a really big benefit to living here. Would you recommend it? Um, I would. I mean, it's a nice place to live. Um, I find it a little less personable than some of the other places I've lived, but it could just be the neighborhood. Like where I lived in LA, um, you know, everyone was always outside. So you really got to know your neighbors and things like that. And I don't really feel that about Las Vegas, maybe because um, I don't know if it's the place I'm living or if it's the city in general, but I just feel a little less neighborhood-like. Louisville's a little bit further north than from where I am, but probably got a little more personable there being kind of like the Southern hospitality you get. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. I mean, I lived there when I was a teenager, um, but my parents still live there and like just walking around their neighborhood and stuff, you know, everyone says hi and you know, people are very personable where I don't really get that same feeling here in Las Vegas. That's cool. I just always wondered because I fly into Las Vegas all the time and I'm like, I wonder what people living here actually feel like about that. And and I just feel like it's a, it's a great hub for a lot of landscape places. And you're obviously in direct access to those just driving out of your garage and, and getting t- to those places. But before we get into locations that you like to shoot. If anyone is unfamiliar with you, why don't you share how you got started in photography and what led you to where you are now? Okay. Um, I, let's see. So when I was young, I grew up in the Midwest and then Louisville, Kentucky. Um, So I didn't really Um, get to experience like mountains and the ocean and, you know, grand landscapes. Um, And, you know, I always had a point and click, point and shoot camera. And I, you know, would take snaps of wherever we went. And when we traveled, we usually traveled to cities um, because my dad was like a city person. So we'd go to his conferences and they'd be in all the different cities. So we saw most of the cities. And I think my love of travel grew out of that. Um, But when I got into college, um, I did some internships out West. I I was a computer science major, and I interned at Intel uh, in New Mexico and at Microsoft in Seattle. And so when I saw the landscapes, these landscapes that were so different um, from, you know, what I was used to and where I grew up, it just took my breath away. And so... I decided that I needed to cap to purchase a camera to capture, you know, the beauty that I saw um, because I was so enthralled by it. So when I graduated from <clears throat> college, I went to work at my, um, at Intel in Portland, Oregon, and I got my first SLR. It was before digital, um, and I took a class, a photography class, you know, on the side outside of work. Um, And I learned to develop the photos and every weekend I would go out and, you know, take pictures of the beautiful areas around Portland. 
Um, and I mean, I wasn't very good back then, but I enjoyed doing it. Um, and then life brought me back to Chicago and I kind of lost interest in it for a while. Um, because, you know, there wasn't really anything that inspired me there. Um, and then, you know, I really wanted to move back to the Pacific Northwest. That was, you know, the place I wanted to be, but, you know, life takes different turns and it didn't happen. Um, but then when, when my daughter was born, um, I found I couldn't really get good photos of her with, um, you know, the, the point and shoot, it wasn't fast enough and, or even my phone, because back then, you know, phones weren't as good. The cameras weren't as good. Um, <laughs> so that motivated me to get a DSLR. Um, and I got, I think it was like a Nikon D5500, um, crop sensor camera. And I started taking pictures of her and I was able, you know, to get better pictures of her because it was much faster. Um, but then a uh, few years later, I started going to India for work um, because I was a software developer still and I managed a team in India. And so after I went there a few times, I would take some time off before or after while I was there and go visit different places in India. Um, and I started going to the Himalayas and something about the Himalayas, how beautiful and remote and wild they are, really just rekindled my love for landscape photography. Um, and so I started taking pictures in the Himalayas and I was living in LA at the time. So I started traveling like to Yosemite and to the Northern California coast and you know, wherever I could on week long weekends um, during my vacation to take pictures because I just fell in love with it again. Um, and also during that time, I, I also really like astrophotography, which is something that, um, you know, got me back into doing landscape photography. So I discovered that around the same time when I first started getting back into landscape photography. And the first time I went to shoot that, I went to Joshua Tree um, and I just, you know, shot the stars. I didn't really know about the Milky Way. But then when I was in India in the Himalayas, I actually ended up doing a workshop with um, an Indian instructor uh, there um, on Milky Way photography. And after that, I just was hooked. Like not only Milky Way, but sunsets, sunrises, landscapes, you know, whatever I could shoot. And so about five years ago, we moved from LA to Las Vegas um, because my husband had a coworker who had been trying to get him to move here for a while. And I didn't want to quit my job. So I was always like, no, let's not move. I don't want to quit my job. But then finally, I was just like, that's it. I don't want to do software development anymore. And I want to focus on doing photography. So when we moved out, we moved out here, you know, because he wanted to take the new job and because I would be able to not work, um, you know, and start my photography business. What was that like for you starting that photography business and kind of seeing your passion come full circle into, I'm assuming what you, what you dreamed it could be. Right. Well, it's been really great. Um, I mean, 
the first few years, I was really focused on building up my portfolio, you know, and not really starting the business per se, um, because I really felt like, you know, I would need a good portfolio in order to start it. But now I'm selling prints and doing workshops. Um, and those are things I really enjoy. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it is kind of, you know, it just started recently, but it's really starting to pay off and I'm really happy and proud about that. What was it, do you think about night photography that got you hooked? Hmm. Well, I think there's a few reasons. Um, one is that I really like a technical challenge. I was a software developer. So, you know, the technical side of things really appeals to me. And a challenge in on the technical side of things is very, very appealing to me. So night photography is, in my opinion, a little bit more difficult and more challenging. I mean, in order to get you know, all the detail in the landscape as well as the stars um, without a lot of light is a technical challenge. And you need to, you know, think of unique ways and creative ways to do that and, you know, really work on it. So that was very appealing. Um, you know, I feel like I'm always getting better at it. I'm always uh, being able to either get less noise in my photo or more detail. Um, and so I love to see that progress. Um, and then the other reason is the first time I saw the stars on the back of the camera, I, it just kind of hooked me and drew me in. And, you know, you'd think you, I'd get bored of it. I've been doing it for, you know, five plus years, um, seven years. And every time I see the Milky Way on the back of the camera, I'm just inspired again and I fall in love. So it's really... I don't think I'll ever get bored of seeing that. Do you remember where you were on that first time you saw it and, and what that experience was like? Right. So the first time was at Joshua Tree. Um, I mean, I mainly just shot the stars, but I did see the Milky Way. It was in March um, when, you know, the Milky Way is still relatively low. Um, and yeah, it was just... From that moment on, I was hooked and I hadn't really planned to go there. And Joshua Tree's really busy that time of the year. And so I was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get a camp spot and I'll, you know, just camp there and shoot it. And then I got to the campgrounds and they were all full and stuff. So I just kind of pulled over um, in the campground. I found a place to pull over that wasn't really a campsite. And I just, you know, shot the stars and then I ended up driving home in the same night since I didn't have a place to sleep. Um, but it's totally worth it. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I found <laughs> Joshua Tree to be the most challenging place I've ever photographed compositionally than like anything else in my entire life. You know, I find the desert in general to be like that, not only Joshua Tree, but the whole desert. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of, I actually found Death Valley to be the, the most difficult place, even mm. slightly more, although they both are very challenging. But then um, I took a workshop with Erin Babnick in Death Valley, and she is such a good teacher. I would highly recommend her workshops. But um, 
you know, she taught me that you really want to find patterns in, you know, the randomness of nature. And so now when I go to like Joshua Tree or Death Valley or anywhere in the desert, um, I really look for those patterns in the randomness of nature. And that really helps me to compose in these kind of environments. So like the first time I went to Death Valley, I, Death Valley in particular, I shoot there a lot since I live in Las Vegas. I was like, oh, this, you know, I don't really like this place. It's kind of barren. There's nothing here. Um, but the more I go there and the more I look for these patterns in, you know, the randomness of nature, the more I fall in love with it and the more beauty I see there. So it's the same for Joshua Tree. I don't make it there quite as often because it's a little bit further. Um, but, but yeah, that really, you know, helped me a lot. Yeah, I'm curious, and I've always been into the psychology of why people decide to do a specific thing when you were getting started and you wanted to take that workshop, why did you choose errands above the other ones that are constantly being held in the same area? Right. Well, the reason I chose hers is because I had listened to a lot and read, read a lot of her articles and listened to a lot of her um, tutorials that she does and I just really liked the way she taught. Um, I had actually done some other workshops with other people. I won't mention them um, <laughs> before that I didn't really care for um, because they come didn't... on, spill, spill the beans, spill the beans. <laughs> no, I'm just no. I would never. I would never. They didn't really teach me. I I felt like you know photography kind of just came to them. And so they couldn't really explain like why they chose to do something. They could from the technical side, but not really from the compositional side or the artistic side, because it was just so natural to them. Whereas with Erin, I felt like she had really thought a lot about why she made the decisions she made. And she was able to communicate that very well. And maybe it's because she comes from an academic background, um, but it was just the way she taught um, allowed me to come away with a lot of things that I could continue to use in the future. That brings up a great argument though, that, that can be talked about for ages, I'm sure. But is it, what do you think about the, the argument of skill and talent versus the, the challenge that goes into it, because I, we can talk about the teaching side of it and communicating how you create a photograph in that same realm. But what about for you as a photographer, is it more so on the talent side of things, how you just see it come to you? Or is it more on the challenge and uh, aspect side of it that, that keeps you driven to go out and create photography? Um, okay, well, I think you kind of asked two different questions. Um, firstly, I will say that I don't think, I'll admit that I don't think I have innate talent for photography. Um, I've had to work very hard at it. And when I'm composing, I have to think very hard about it. I can't just like see something and know that's going to be a great picture. I really have to think about it and I really have to try and I really have to 
focus on it and try for a long time to get my camera in the right place that gives me a really good composition. And I'm very intentional about that. Um, I wish it came naturally to me, but I just don't think it does. Um, and so it's something I really had to work on and I really had to develop and I still really have to think about it. Like, you know, is this in the right place to emphasize the subject of my photo? Um, are these things really going to support what I'm trying to convey in my photo? I really have to think about those things. Um, I wish it just came naturally, but it doesn't. So by taking workshops like Aaron's, um, you know, I get more things that I can think about um, and to help me come to that really great photo and that great composition. And then there was another question you asked about inspiration, I think. Could you ask that again? Mm-hmm. Is it the challenge side, that that technical trying that you have to do, and, and you put it, your your thought that goes into a composition without it coming easily to you, is that what keeps you driven in photography? Right. You know, I think it kind of is. Because for me, when I get that photo that, like, everything works together, and I see it, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is it, it's really a big thing for me. Like, I had to think really hard to get that and try really hard to get that and, you know, take so many shots and adjust it so many times to get that, that when I get that, that feeling of, oh my God, it worked out is just like so inspiring. And that's really what keeps me coming back. So I think it's a combination of both, you know, I mean, I love doing the photography. I love being out in nature. But it's that feeling that I get when I finally get that photo that everything works together um, that I just can't even explain the feeling, but it's kind of like addictive, you know, I just want to get it again. What was your life like when you were at Intel compared to it now? And, and I think we've had another photographer on the podcast who worked at Intel or a company like it, uh, Colleen Minnick, I believe did something similar, uh, just in a different location, I'm sure. Right. Well, I um, was a software developer for 20 years. Um, I started out as a software developer, and then I was a manager and then a senior manager. And I was only at Intel for one year. Um, and then I moved back to Chicago and I was, I worked at a bunch of dot-com startups because it was during the dot-com boom. Um, and then I finally, when I moved to LA, I worked for Herbalife and I worked there for 10 years. So that was the longest I worked anywhere. Um, but I think you're asking me, how did my life as a software developer compare with my life uh-huh. now as a photographer? Uh-huh. Um, yep. and you know, I've, I must say I've had a good life. I enjoy, you know, everything I've done in life. And I really enjoyed software development, but I think it was the same thing. Like you would work on something, you know, this problem in the software that you were trying to solve and you were trying to figure it out. And when you figured it out and you got it, it was that same feeling of achievement that, you know, felt so good. So I think that's the same thing I feel in photography, even though it's a different, you know, a completely different genre and a completely different way of solving problems and having success. 
Um, and, you know, I think maybe one thing that one reason I decided not to continue with software development is because I had become manager and it maybe that wasn't the same kind of, you know, challenge and problem solving and feeling of success that I got um, both with programming and with photography. Do you think your background in that gives you a leg up when it comes to not only the technical side of your camera, but the technical aspect of post-processing and all that goes into that? Definitely. I think it does. I mean, using computers comes really easily to me. Um, although I was very used to Windows um, as a software developer, and now for my photography, I use a Mac. Um, but I just think, you know, figuring out how to do things on the computer and, you know, navigating on the computer comes pretty easily to me because I've been a software developer. Um, and also like, you know, the tracker for stars, which I just started using recently and the camera and yeah, all of those things. I mean, I like a good technical challenge, um, you know, using devices. So it definitely can help. Yes. Okay. The tracker. I've seen this. Give me, give us a broad view of what this does and your, your pros and cons to using one. Okay, well, I just started using it, um, but I can definitely explain to you why I started using it. Um, so when you're photographing, firstly, the star, the earth is moving. So the stars move across the sky at night. Um, and so when you're photographing them, if you keep your shutter open for too long, um, you'll get star trails. We've all seen photos of star trails, which are lines in the sky made by stars. Um, if you're pointed north, there'll be circles. And if you're pointed, um, you know, in a different direction, there'll be some variation of a circle. Um, <clears throat> so that's because the earth is moving and so the stars are streaking across the sky. So if you're trying to get pinpoint stars, which is what you want for Milky Way photography, you can only keep your shutter open for a short period of time. And it varies depending on your focal length um, and the megapixels of your camera as to how long you would be able to keep it open. I use photo pills um, to let me know how long would work. So since you can only have your shutter open for a short period of time and there is very little light, you need to raise your ISO a lot in order to photograph the Milky Way if you're just using your camera on a tripod. Um, and of course that introduces noise. So there are some other methods to get rid of noise. Like I use Topaz Denoise, which is really good. And I also do star stacking. So if I take like 20 images in sequence of the Milky Way, I use an application called um, Starry Landscape Stacker, which will align them because you remember the stars have been moving. So I can't just take all 20 images in <coughs> and stack them or I'll get star trails. Um, so what Starry Landscape Stacker does is it aligns them <coughs> and then it takes, I mean, it has a very complex algorithm, but it's basically taking the median value of each pixel um, and since noise is random, the median shouldn't be the noise. It should be the actual pixel that has the image data. 
So that can reduce a lot of noise. So for years, I was using stacking um, and very successful with it. But what I found is that I didn't get as much color in my Milky Way. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that, um, you know, using, well, it's mainly due to the high ISO. So using the high ISO, you don't get as much of a dynamic range. Um, and a lot of the color that you could get ends up just being, you know, whitish or orangish. Um, so that's why I decided to use the tracker, because the tracker moves with the, the earth. So you can keep your shutter open for minutes and you won't get trailing. You'll still get that pinpoint star. Um, and you don't have to use as high an ISO because you have your shutter open for as long. So you're able to reduce the ISO a lot, which gives you more dynamic range and you can capture more of the color. Um, and I feel like just more of the detail um, in the stars and in the Milky Way by using the tracker. Was it difficult to figure out the first time you took it out there? Um. <clears throat> You know, I think maybe it's because I'm a little bit older now, but I am kind of hesitant sometimes to try new things. And so I actually got the tracker like a year ago and I just started <laughs> using it now. <laughs> um, but no, it was super easy. Like I thought it was going to be really hard um, and it wasn't. The hardest part is you have to align it with the North Star um, because that's how it knows where to move. Um, but I have the move shoot move tracker, which is kind of a lightweight one. Um, you can't really do like deep space at astrophotography or long lenses with it. Um, and it uses a laser to align with the North star, which is actually quite a bit easier than I thought, because you just look at the laser and get it so that it's pointed to the North star in the sky. Um, and then you're ready to go. Although I had a little trouble with the ball head um, because I would think it was a line and the ball head would move down. So I got a geared head um, and that works great. It works so well. It's so funny for me to be able to talk to photographers with so many different approaches on the podcast because like you're much more on the technical side of things. I'm much more... Uh, I would put myself on the artistic and just like, you know, whatever happens, happens side of things. And just to hear like that much technology going into one shot, um, it's a little scary for me, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> to like even think about trying that. And because I'm just like, okay, Milky Way shot, boom, 20 second exposure, wide angle lens, got it. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of am like that with all my photography. Like, you know, I really like to plan things out and I like to use photo pills and the photographer's ephemeris and, you know, the weather apps and everything possible, Google Earth, everything possible that I can to plan things. In fact, I love that part of it so much, almost as much as going out and taking pictures. Um 
And that's kind of technical too, you know, the planning, not only for astrophotography, but for all of my photography, I really like to plan it out. And that's also part of that feeling I get when I get that photo is that, you know, I've planned it for so long. And when I get there, it might not be exactly how I thought it would be when I was planning. A lot of times, if it's the first time I'm at a place, it's different. And so I kind of have to, you know, adjust things and go with the flow and Often I don't get the photo the first time, but when I get that photo that I've planned for so long, I think that really contributes to that feeling I was talking about, you know, of achieving success. So I'm pretty technical in all my photography, not just in the astrophotography. And, you know, that's just kind of how I've always been. It's the kind of person I am. Based on your personality, is it tough for you? to change those plans when you do get there and see that it's a little bit different than you thought? No, actually, it's not that tough. I wouldn't say I'm a type A personality. Um, I'm pretty like, you know, go with the flow and flexible. Um, I'm not that organized. It's interesting that I really like to plan because I'm not an organized person. Like, um, you know, in school at the beginning of the year, I would have a notebook with folders for each class. And the first few days I would put the notes in the right folder. But then as time went on, they were just all stuffed in one folder. So you know, <laughs> that's kind of my personality. Um, I like technical things and I'm into technical things and planning, but keeping lists, those kind of things is not in my nature. So I think going hand in hand with that is that it's not too hard um, for me to adjust when I realize that things are a little bit different than I thought. Talking about the the night photography thing and, and really enjoying that part of it. Another theme that I've seen in your photography is sun stars. Give us a sense of why you're drawn to sun stars as well as night photography. Right. You know, that's really interesting because they are both stars, right? I mean, they uh, are all uh, stars. Um, but, you know, I think it's the same thing. It's the challenge, not only the technical challenge, but also the compositional challenge. So, you know, to capture the full dynamic range when you're shooting into the sun is more difficult than shooting the opposite direction of the sun. Um, so there's the technical challenge in that. And there's also the challenge of, you know, getting the sky so that um, it's clear enough to get the sun star, but I don't really like shooting in completely clear skies. So, you know, that partly cloudy, like some clouds that'll light up and also clear enough to get the sun star, that's another challenging aspect to it. Um, so if I'm ever, you know, planning and I see that, you know, the sun will be in a spot where I can get a sun star that will add compositionally to the photo, I want to go there. I want to try that, you know, because that's going to be a challenge for me to get the photo that I have envisioned in my head. And that's what I love to do. Given that you're in Las Vegas, and we talked a little bit about that, uh, being at like a central hub for so many national parks in that area, what are some of your favorites to go to? Obviously, we talked about Death Valley uh, a little bit. What are, what are some of your other favorites to get to outside of Las Vegas? 
Right. Well, I'd say that Death Valley is, you know, the one I go to most often because it's closest, but not necessarily my favorite. Probably my favorite places, and it's not a national park, is the area around Hanksville in Utah, um, which is about a six-hour drive for me. So not that close, but not too far. Um, There's a lot of like dirt roads and back roads you can explore and, you know, amazing rock formations. And the thing is, I just am really drawn to shooting rock formations, whether it's, you know, sea stacks in the ocean or these pillars and interesting shaped rocks that you find out in Utah and in the desert. I just love, you know, seeing them against the sky in my photos. It's probably my favorite subject. So then my other favorite area, well, actually I have two other favorite areas to shoot and they're not that close to Las Vegas. It's kind of a problem. My favorite air places to shoot are further away. Um, but my other two favorite places is the area of the California coast between Santa Cruz and San Francisco. So it's not the place that most people go, which is Big Sur. Um, and then a lot of people go north of San Francisco. But there's this little stretch of coast between Santa Cruz and San Francisco that I love shooting. Um, There's so many cool rock formations there, and there's not as many people photographing there um, as some of the other places on the California coast, and I really love it. Um, And then the other is the Oregon coast. I just can't, every time I can make it out there, I go. That would be like, if I had to pick only one place to shoot, it would be the Oregon coast. It's funny talking to photographers about driving locations um we're like uh you know seven eight hour drive that's not bad you'd get there you know get there in the morning get back in the evening easy um it's so it's so different than any other and also the contrast between photographers in the u.s versus the uk like talking with them they're talking about three hour drives you're going from coast to coast whereas we're talking about you know a three-day trip from coast to coast it's it's always just funny to me to hear people talk about their favorite locations and also different regions and and how that impacts them too and obviously when we talk about vegas as a central hub i have in mind that a six to seven hour drive is not a big deal i do want to hit a little bit on your workshops especially for the night sky workshops that you're doing uh in some of the locations because you gave us some of your favorite locations that you can go to but teaching in those is something completely different if if i'm signing up with you and the others that you're teaching with on those locations what am i expecting to get out of that right um okay so Right now, the places I do workshops, because they're the places I have permits for, is Death Valley uh, National Park and the Hanksville area, which I mentioned, um, and also Arches National Park. Um, And I'm hoping to soon start doing them in the Eastern Sierras as well, which I didn't mention but it's a place I go all the time because it's, you know, relatively close to Vegas. It's probably one of the places you think of when you think of going to Vegas because it's just on the other side of Death Valley. Um, so there's a number of things that 
uh, you know, people can really benefit from. The workshop that I just did was focused on astrophotography. Um, so you can learn about, you know, all the different ways of shooting the Milky Way um, and also the ways to get enough light in your landscape that you can see the landscape and also the Milky Way. So we did stacking and we did tracking um, and we did blue hour blends and we did long exposures for the landscape at night, um, which is a technique I really like to use because I feel that it gives more of a feel of the nighttime than a blue hour blend. Um, and a lot of people don't use that method. So that's something kind of unique to the way that I do astrophotography. Um, but my private workshops, which I actually do more private workshops than group workshops, and, you know, anyone who's interested can contact me about those. I do both sunset and sunrise and astrophotography for private workshops. So, you know, if someone wants to just do a sunset um, or a sunrise, or if they want um, Milky Way and Sunrise, you know, whatever combination, I'm open to arrange a private workshop to do that, um, usually in Death Valley or in the Eastern Sierras. If it's summer, it would probably be the Eastern Sierras because Death Valley gets so hot. Um, but I could probably also arrange, you know, Hanksville or Arches. But what I teach in those is the same astrophotography techniques if you're doing a night one. But if you're doing a sunset or a sunrise one, um, I teach what I talked about, you know, finding patterns for foregrounds in the randomness of nature, you know, learning how to compose so that everything leads to the subject of your photo. Um, I can teach doing long exposures with filters. And I love, of course, to teach how to capture the full dynamic range when shooting into the sun as a sun star. Um, so I think the fact like that I said that photography doesn't really come naturally to me um, and that I really have to think a lot about how I compose and shoot and the technical parts of it that I use really helps me to teach it because I can teach people, um, you know, the things that I have to think every time I'm trying to compose a photo. Um, and so, you know, if that's something that people are interested in, then, you know, my workshop would be perfect for them. That feeling that you get of getting that Milky Way shot just right. Do you get the same feeling teaching other people to do that? <clears throat> oh, indeed. Like, you know, there's people who have wanted to shoot Milky Way for so long, but they don't know how to focus on the star or, you know, they don't know, they've been shooting silhouettes with the Milky Way, but they want to get more detail in their foreground. And when that light goes off and they're able to get that, <clears throat> it is definitely the same feeling, um, you know, of satisfaction and accomplishment. Now, obviously, <laughs> weather plays an important role in night workshops and night photography. When you're planning these out, how do you account for weather? Right. So <clears throat> luckily, the locations, you know, that that I frequent have clear skies more than anything. Um, but on my most recent Utah workshop, we only got one really clear night sky. 
Um, and so, you know, the way I accommodate that is, you know, we'll do sunset and sunrise if we can't get the Milky Way. And we'll also do some blue hour and then make composites from the Milky Way that we were able to get on the clear sky. Um, so the way I am in my photography, I want the Milky Way to be exactly where it is. Like, I don't, you know, take something that's north facing and put the Milky Way core there because the Milky Way core would never be to the north. Um, in fact, usually when I shoot my Milky Ways, I keep the tripod in the same place and I take a long exposure for a landscape or a blue hour and I keep it there and I shoot the Milky Way. But, you know, sometimes, especially on the workshops, we can't do that. So what we'll do is we'll take a photo of how it aligns in photo pills. Um, and then, you know, on the clear night when we got the Milky Way, we might do some blue hour blends just to show, you know, these are some other ones you may have gotten if we had had all clear nights. But I really like, um, you know, the flexibility of doing some sunsets and sunrises and some Milky Ways, depending on what the weather gives you, because that's how it's going to be when you're out photographing. And I also really like to teach um, the weather tools that I use, because especially in the Southwest, I feel I've gotten pretty good um, at forecasting whether it's going to be a good sunrise or a good sunset. And so we're able to like kind of chase, you know, the, the good place. If there's clouds around and it doesn't look like we're going to have a clear night, we're able to really chase where we might get the best sunset or sunrise. That's always the most exciting part too anyways, right? Yeah. I mean, when you get it, like when, you know, you're like, okay, it looks like this might be a good sunset. And then you go to that place and you get it. Yeah. That's great. What do you have coming up in the next year or two for your photography? Like, what are you planning to do with it? <clears throat> oh, I have so many plans. Um, I mean, a lot of them revolve around the Milky Way. I have so many shots with the Milky Way that I want to get. Um, and that's something I'm really focusing on for the rest of this Milky Way season um, until, you know, October when you can't see the core anymore. Um, so I have, you know, the whole summer, basically, I take the kids and we go, you know, travel around and I have, you know, all these places planned where I can get Milky Way shots that I want to get. Um, and so, I mean, that's a feeling of accomplishment too, when I get those. And so that's um, basically what I have planned for the rest of this year. Um, and also to use the tracker more since I just started using it um, and to get better with using it and getting my Milky Way shots with that. But as far as professionally, um, I do plan to do some more group workshops, um, mostly, like I said, Eastern Sierras, Utah, Death Valley. Um, and then I'd like to get the private workshops going even more um, than I have been. And uh, yeah, that's mostly what I have planned. Right on, right on. Let's close up with this. Best sushi you can get in Las Vegas is where? <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I really like sushi, uh, but I just go to this family restaurant near me, which actually I don't think the sushi is that great. Um, so I can't really give you <laughs> a, a raving review, <laughs> a raving review for the family spot. Don't I even tell us the name now. No, I don't I like, I won't. 
but I have had some recommended, so I have to go to them, but I can't think of the names off the top of my head. Um, now, if you ask me the best meal I've had in okay. Vegas, G- I would give me that say, one. Give me that one. I would say that would be um, the Jose Andres Bizarre Meat is the one that I've been to. I love all of his restaurants, though. And actually, I haven't been to A, which is E with an accent over it, which is Jose Andres. And it's supposed to be like one of the best of his restaurants. So that's on my list to go to. But you have to make a reservation as soon as you get the email that they've opened it for the next, you know, for whatever month it is. Um, and so it's tough to get it. And then with all my travel to coordinate, I haven't been able to do it yet, but I'm definitely going there this year. Well, she's Arwen Levinson. Arwen, thank you so much for joining us and talking photography and your passions that go along with it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was great. Hey guys, I just hope you had as much fun listening to that discussion with Arwen as I had having it with her live. And it's so cool to hear so many different takes on the same locations. I talk to so many photographers that have similar approaches. I take more of the artistic, the compositional approach of just going out and seeing whatever I see. But hearing other photographers' approaches to planning and using like the Star Tracker stuff, I would never in my dreams want to try that. But it does pique my curiosity now that I talk to the other side and, and want to continue to improve my own photography. And that's one of the beauties of this show. I hope you got a lot of inspiration out of this. If you want to support the podcast on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and you can sign up for a tier that fits your budget. And it's just a big thank you from me if you do decide to sign up for the podcast. I'm extremely appreciative and I'm appreciative of everybody who does continue to support the podcast on a month to month basis. So thank you so much to those individuals. And again, if you want to do that as well, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston. I'll see you guys next week.